Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Well, it is good to be here. God has blessed us with a wonderful campus where we have 28 dorm rooms here on site, and we had our men's retreat this past weekend with over 60 guys. Over 60 guys were here. Last year, there was 30-something guys, and this being the year of abundance, God has almost doubled that number. What a beautiful thing. It is not just um, a time to get away, but God is going to bring about much fruit in the lives of those that were there, not only in their personal lives, but everything that God has called them to affect, their families, their marriages, the church, the community. We saw that last year in the, in the retreat, and we believe that is going to be multiplied out. So before we start with the message today, we have a short video that Samara put together uh, just so you can see a little bit of what went on in the retreat. You can't know everything, but we'll show you this part. <laughs> Vision restored. What a beautiful concept. What a beautiful thought. What, what, what it is to know that God restores vision. This morning's message is called Scales Fell from His Eyes. And we're going to find ourselves in Acts chapter 9. And we're going to read verses 10 through 20. I'll be reading out of the CSB this morning. And I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Again, we're in Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 10. And it reads this way. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hand on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales 
fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. He is the Son of God. Father, we, we thank you for sight. Those of us that are your children can say, I was blind, but now I see to go through life blind, spiritually blind. We can't see the reality of who you are and live in a mirage that this world displays. We ask that you would continue to open eyes, Lord, that you would continue to restore vision and give clarity, Lord. As we sit under your word, Lord, do a work in our hearts. We come with that expectancy knowing the power of your word. Your word has power to save. We need it for our daily nourishment. So we come to your table looking to be filled. And we thank you that your word accomplishes what you send it to do always. We thank you for that. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're first introduced to Saul at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was one of the first deacons. He was made a deacon in chapter 6 of Acts, and he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And he became the first martyr of the church. And, and those that stoned Stephen laid their garments at the feet of this young man, Saul. His um, approval of this act caused him to request permission to take on as his personal mission to become his occupation to go and persecute Christians. Uh, imagine um, the zeal that you must have and, and your thinking that the, the way I view God is so correct that I am going to ask permission that my job personally would be to round up those that I believe have a false understanding of who God is, and I'm going to drag them into prison. That, that's, that's pretty deep. You know, it's, it's one thing to disagree with someone. It's another thing to verbalize it. Something totally different when you say, I'll sign up to beat a guy to drag him into prison. That's where Paul finds himself. And that is deep blindness. It tells us in chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 9, now Saul was still breathing threats and murder. This is after the stoning of Stephen. 
he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested a letter from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. We don't usually hear that um, terminology used, the way, but uh, what is mean, meant by the way? The way is for lost wanderers, something that we all are. This very expression suggests that, uh, that a way is needed, a way uh, to salvation, um, and this need arises out of the blindness of man, uh, the inability for man to save himself. Every way leads from some place, and it leads to some place. And the way it leads is to the road of destruction, unless Christ intervenes. The Bible tells us enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and how difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Christ leads from the land of bondage. It is Christ who leads us from darkness and from death. He both makes and shows a way. How amazing. Out of the state of sin and condemnation, he shows a way out of no way. And for those of us that are in Christ, we are well acquainted with this. Outside of Christ, redirecting your course of life, you are headed for destruction. And that's the path that Saul found himself on, on this road to destruction. And as we just read, that, that way of destruction is broad. So it's just not those that were going with a murderous intent. There are many different avenues we could travel to get to this broad road of destruction. It says that Paul, as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? The guy who had so much zeal to do God's work didn't recognize the voice of God. We don't recognize the voice of God until he calls us personally. And the Lord identifies himself. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, 
hearing the sound but seeing no one, Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. That's the condition of the world. Their eyes are open, but they could see nothing. Their eyes are not really open. They, they, they are in darkness, searching. I don't know if you've ever been in utter darkness. First off, it's scary. Like, I'm not like a real scary kind of person, but when I'm in like pitch, pitch black darkness where you don't know the direction to go, and you have no sense of what is lurking out there, that's darkness. That's blindness. And, and, and sometimes, as believers, because we've been seeing for a while, we forget what it was to be in darkness, what it was to be in spiritual darkness, and, and to be so deceived, believing, no, I could see. I could see just fine. And it wasn't until our eyes were opened where we say to ourselves, how come I've never seen this before? And then we recognize that that condition we were in was blindness. It's crazy that the blind believe that they can see, and those that they can see that can really see, the blind believe they're the blind. They, they think we're blind, that we're crazy, that we're off. What a sad condition to be in. So this is where Paul is, his eyes were open, but he could not see. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. The blind are led by something. It's just not by the light. They're led by the angel that tries to come as light, which is the devil. It says that he was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied, get up and go to the street called Straight. And the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. You know, there's nothing wasted in the Bible. Like, like where in the Bible do you hear them start naming streets? Look at the name of the street. The street called Straight. So obviously, coming across that, I'm like, oh, I got to figure this out. What, what's the significance of this street called Straight? That street is still there. And a church is 
at that location where Saul was taken. And the uh, address is appropriate because in Latin, the street called straight is via recta, the word from which we get rectitude. It means uprightness, uprightness. It means morally correct behavior or thinking. Wow. Like, like God is so detailed. When we hear things like that, it's just, I don't know, yeah, that's nice. Like that sort of detail should resonate with us. There should be a certain level of confidence when we hear that God is that detailed to know he's just that detailed in your life. He knows what street you're on and what street he's going to take you to and where he's going to do what and everything else in between. It's a good thing to know. We also, when we think about something being straight, it reminds us what the prophet Isaiah said and what um, John the Baptist was crying out. It says, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low and the crooked will become straight. And the rough ways smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. Hallelujah. So, so as this story continues, it says, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hand on him so that he may regain his sight. God does different things in different ways for different people, knowing like our exact bents and what we need so that when he comes, there is no denying this is God. So, so, so if we think about who Paul was in terms of his education, and how he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and how he so believed in the law, God knocks him off his horse, blinds him, speaks to him, has someone else come, this is important, and lay hands on him, shows him a vision that someone is going to be coming, all of that because God is so detailed in how he was going to use Saul, who named becomes Paul, and showing him, this is how I operate through my people. It says, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard, I've heard from many people about this man. And how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. It's, it's funny how the, a servant of God thinks he needs to inform God about what's going on. I don't know if you heard, but I heard that this dude is dangerous. Why are you sending me over there to him? 
I've heard how much done he's done and how much damage he's done. You know, in another way, like even um, when we're in the process of being changed, people want to go by what they heard, what they know of you before, and they want to attach that to you now while you're in this process of being changed. Part of that, we got to like accept because it was like, nah, you did that. No, you were that. And it's going to take a while for people to see if you're genuinely changed. That's like prudent. But there's another sense of like, even after you demonstrate some of that, people still want to like, mm, I ain't quite sure yet. We don't have to worry about that. Because when God is putting us through a process, it's going to become clear. And anyone who wants to hold you on those things in the past, pray for them. You got to let that go. And at the same time, probably keep that door open for restitution and for reconciliation. Right? So, it says, I've heard about this guy, but the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and the Israelites. What you may not recognize here is like God was expanding his kingdom. Salvation was to the Jew first. The, the reason the Jews are called his chosen people is not because they were anything special. God already said that. It's because he chose to reveal himself to them. And, and they became the apple of his eye. He took them as his people after he took them through that 400-year process of slavery and made those promises to their father Abraham. But now he's expanding the kingdom to the Gentiles, to, to the rest of the world. And he's saying, no, this guy that was so zealous against me, now he's going to be zealous for me. And I'm going to use him in this capacity. God's chosen instrument for expanding the kingdom. It's not for Saul, who would be Paul alone. It's for all his saints. You're his chosen instrument. You are saved through a mission and to a mission. You are his instrument. Stop believing that, like, I'm saved for life improvement. Like, I'm saved so I could do me better. Some people go through their whole Christian life believing, I have Jesus, 
and the Lord at my disposal so that my life and the things that I want and how I want to live and what I want to do and the mission I want to be on will come to pass. That's not what the Bible teaches. Scripture tells us, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied graces. So, so it's not to be self-serving. It's to serve one another as a good steward. In other words, you have a gift, and now you have some choices to make of what you're going to do with that gift, and you're called to use that gift properly. And our gifts are different. And the important thing about our gifts being different and us using those gifts for one another when we use them in collectively, and that's what church is about, God does something beautiful through the body. So you can have the gift of being an ear, but if you want to roll separate from the body, that gift could only be used to a certain capacity, if at all. Another text in Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You've been purchased at a price for him. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Remember where you were. So now that you have the Holy Spirit and you have these gifts and you start thinking who you think you are, like you were in darkness. Remember what we're talking about here. And now you're in his marvelous light to be used for his glory. For you were called to freedom. Remember, we were slaves to sin. You were called to freedom. Only do not use your as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. When we get that right in our hearts and our minds, and this sounds kind of like, man, this is like, you know, real like other-centered. Yes, that's right. And that's who Jesus is and that's who he calls us to be you're going to have no greater joy when you start to engage in that. And your needs will be met. That's what God says. So, verse 16 says, not only have I called Paul to this, I will show him how much 
he must suffer for my name. Yeah, that's only right. He was looking to kill people. He was there while they were stoning and they put, no. Like, we are called to suffer for the cause of Christ. Philippians 1.29, for I have been granted to you that for the sake of, of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Like this, as you continue to be transformed, becomes a desire, a privilege to suffer for Christ. Like that might sound to some of you like, <laughs> uh, no, no thank you. None of you, some of you have never suffered for the sake of Christ because you don't stand for the cause of Christ. And let me tell you something, your regular life trials and struggles and suffering, don't try to put that in the category of, I'm suffering for Christ. No, you know what that's called? Life. <laughs> no, we're called to suffer for the cause of Christ with a, with a joy. And, and, and look, let, let's not get it twisted. We, we got to continue to get our minds right when that happens. When I endure a level of suffering for Christ, my first response is that person, whoa, wait a minute, right? So, so that's real. And the more you mature, the faster you come around to, no, this is what I'm called to, and this is part of it. So the gap is getting smaller in my life, and certain things, right, it's just like that, I, that used to bother me doesn't even bother me anymore, but I'm still growing. Some of y'all still really tick me off and other things that happen. But by the time I see you again, good thing with most of you, it's like a week before I see you again. You know, God gets my heart and mind right. That's for all of us. Like, we are called to suffer for the cause of Christ. And don't try to build your categories of what that is, because he'll bring clarity to it later. <laughs> the text says that, Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him. The laying on of hands by those that God has called to do that, the elders in the church, it, that matters. Like that produces something. That's real. I mean, that's what God uses here in this demonstration. And he says, as he lays hands on him, Brother Saul. He's calling him brother now. A minute ago, he was like, yo, whoa, whoa, Lord. 
Nah, that guy, like, I don't want to go over there. And now, once God says, no, I've called him to my purposes, when he lays hands on him, he says, brother. Now he's a sibling. Now he's one of the family. Once the Lord accepts someone as their child, I don't care what you think about them or feel about them or what you feel about the process they're in and where they at. No, they're a full-fledged brother or sister. Not a stepbrother, a brother. With, with the full benefits of brotherhood and sisterhood and, and, and because we get that twisted between them and God, they are already heirs to all that God has in store for them. And for all of us. It says that uh, Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling. You know that road. We've been on that road. That wrong road going to the wrong place, doing the wrong thing, that road to destruction, he sent me so that you may regain your sight. God used physical blindness to teach Saul the depths of his spiritual blindness. And like I said before, what was even worse is he thought he could see. He thought he could see so clearly that he was ready to respond to what he thought he could see in a negative way. But not only did he regain his sight, he said, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This, this work that God had Saul, who would be Paul to do, he would not be able to accomplish without the filling of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that we can do of eternal value without the filling of the Holy Spirit. In the same way we read about David being anointed this past weekend and how the prophet Samuel poured oil on his head, and at the same time, it said that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. It's the same for us. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and in him, when you also believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, when the church was starting, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Frankie read that this morning. And it says at once, something like scales 
fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized. When I think about scales, I only think about like fish, reptiles, and snakes. And I kind of like fish, but I don't eat the scales. And just to think where there would be a, a, a visual of something like scales over his eyes, preventing him from seeing. And the imagery of that just falling off. When we think about what it is when God gives sight and clarity where we can see and then it's not like he gives us that and we can see as clear as day with all things. No, he continues to give us clarity and shows more and more of his son. And we fall deeper and deeper in love with him. And as we mature and in our sanctification process and our consecration process, we see more and more things that we couldn't see before. Even with this new sight that we have, like it never ends. And then there's going to come a day when we're standing before him, seeing him face to face. How amazing that is. says, after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. He didn't gain his sight and go off on a mission. No, he stayed with the community of believers. He had a new family. He had a new mission. He had a new way of life. Everything changed. You can come up, worship team. It says, immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. He is the son of God. And all who heard him were astounded. And they said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc? That's what they're saying about some of y'all. I, I, I told you guys a story some months ago about like how I went to a barbecue and I saw people that I didn't see in 30 years and they were talking to me like I was the same guy that they saw like the day before. And... And what, at first, I was like a little offended. <laughs> and then I'm like, they just don't know. And, and it's funny because it's not like, you know, through social media or whatever, they didn't hear like, you're a pastor and these kind of things. But it registers in the mind of those that are blind like a different way. So they're still kind of talking to you the same way with the same subjects. And it's just like, are you correlating the blind? Those scales are on their eyes. 
And the ones that are called to see are called to be those very instruments that God made Saul. It says that this guy who was wreaking havoc for those who called on his name and came here for the supposed, he was supposed to take them as prisoners. But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. We got to shut this guy up. But Paul learned of their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. The crazy part about this story is like he's riding in with like an entourage, probably on a horse. Visible for all to see. They knew he was coming. They heard he was coming. They knew he was coming to what he was coming to do. And after being filled with the Holy Spirit and his identity being changed, he has to escape from the city. And somebody told you, once you become a Christian, everything is going to get better, like immediately. No, it is. But just not in that way. Like, like what? Paul was called to do, this was part of it. So when God says, no, he's going to find out how much he's going to have to suffer for the gospel's sake. His, his epistles and, and letters was like, I'm pleased to do it. We just went through Philippians where he said to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, so even if he would have got caught coming down in that basket and stabbed, to die is gain. He might not have known it that, at that point in his Christian walk, but he would have found out like in the next couple of seconds after he bled out how good it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be called to the mission of God, to have restored vision. It changes how you see, it changes what you see, it gives clarity to your focus, it sets a new aim, it sets a new mission, it has us with a new goal. Focus cannot be broad, it must be And And one of the things that we even spoke about this past weekend is, like, we all mess up. But mess up does not mean I give up. When we were, had to retreat, this guy fell. He got up. I'm not going to say any names. But it reminds me of the scripture that a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. So mess up doesn't mean give up. 
live your life. Live like your life depends on it. Live like your life depends on it. Live life to the fullest. As you can see and as you gain clarity that only comes from the illumination of the Holy Spirit and by reading the Word of God, live it out. Like coming to church is not you showing yourself to be a Christian. Leaving church with the instruction and animation, animation of the Lord, those are the, when you walk out this door, when you're fed and then you put it on display, when you're used for God's glory, when you're on your mission, that shows that you're a Christian. It's not coming here like, let me get to church. I was going to say you on time, but that'll be another sermon. We are given the Holy Ghost where we have power. We're called to a mission. We've been given clarity. So we need to live that way. There might be someone here that for the first time, like scales falling from their eyes, they're saying, I've heard this before, but now I can see, repent, call on God. Accept his free gift of grace. He has died for the one who repents of their sin and shed his blood. And his blood covers your sin and puts you in right relationship with the Father. The wages of sin is death. God has made a covenant through his blood for those that repent and believe on Jesus that they would be his children. They would be his heirs, his holy priesthood, his workmanship. And he will fill you with the Holy Spirit, guide and direct your steps laying provision in your path and calling you to his purposes. If that's you, I want you to come over to me after service. Let's talk for a minute and pray. Father, I so thank you for your word. Your word is so refreshing, Lord. Your word gives life, Lord. Your word course corrects. 
gives us hope and joy. It satisfies. It reminds us of your promises. It reminds us of who you are and who we are in you. As you direct, Lord, as you call, Father, as you do a work, Lord, let us not resist what you're doing, Lord. But that our heart would be, have your way. Align my will with yours. Search my heart. We thank you, Lord. We thank you what you've done this day. We thank you for what you've done this weekend. We thank you for all that you've been doing in your church, in our marriages and in our families, Lord, in our personal lives, Lord. And our desire is for more and more and more, God. Continue to do what only you can do. We love you, Lord, but we ask that you deepen our love. We trust you, Lord, but we ask that you would deepen our trust, that you'd give us more faith, more joy, more of you. Oh, God, you are good. We could never have enough. We thank you for this time for the work that you've done on the inside. And we pray that we see the fruit displayed on the outside. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, family.